welcome to I See Star Wars, a podcast about vintage Star Wars action figures. I am your host, Michael Havens, creator of The Imperial Commissary. Come with me, I will be your guide as we journey through the incredible universe of vintage Star Wars collectibles. It is my pleasure to welcome you back for episode 5 of IC Star Wars, a podcast for collectors by collectors. Episode 5 is going to feature Jonathan Robinson. He is a member of the Imperial Commissary. I'm sure you've seen his figure of the week post. He's the guy who posts up every card back variation there is for every figure of the week there is. Um, so we're going to be delving into U.S. card back variations this week on IC Star Wars. When I first started collecting, I had no idea that the different changes in cardback variations could impact the value of a figure or the rarity of an item so well. I couldn't believe it. So, I went out there and I started looking, and I started looking with Boba Fett, because that's where I start. So, of course, I started going through Boba Fett. Now, there's no 12-backs with Boba Fett. What a 12-back is, or what 12-back refers to is on the back of the vintage cards, the first series, there are only 12 figures shown. Um, so that's one of the most popular card backs because it's one of the rarest and one of the originals, one of the very first ones that came out in 77. So if you flip that over, you're going to see 12 characters depicted on the back of that card. And then they start moving up into 20 backs and 32 backs and 41 backs and 21 backs and 65 backs, 77 backs, 79 backs, 48 backs. They're all over the place. Um, even we get into the power of the force backs, uh, which has 92. Um, so the backs are considered like a 65 back will have 65 different characters. They change with different types of offers or different types of offers on the back of the card. Um, so those cards are going to actually change. You're going to have 65A, 65B, 65C, stuff like that. And those are all given to us by the Kellerman. Uh, you guys know the Kellerman book. It's about 350 bucks. It's a great book. Um, it's a very old school book. And it was one of the very first times that somebody really dug into the variations of the card backs and documented it all, and set a list of specifications, which we still use today. Uh, the 12A, that is a Kellerman thing. Uh, 12B, 12C, those letters are a Kellerman thing. That's where we get it from. That's why the Kellerman is such a valuable book to us as collectors, because it shows the history of what we talk about basically every day, what every grading company calls the standard, and what everyone across the boards will know exactly what you're talking about as soon as you say, hey, it's a 12A. Because the difference between a 12A back and a 12B back could be couple thousand dollars so it's definitely something you should brush up on i would like to suggest 12back.com it's just one two back.com um i've used it for a long long time it's a great website it has all the card back variations there i believe let me pull it up here it has yeah it has all the card back variations up there uh 12s 20s and it also has a picture of the card and uh, a picture of the back so you could tell the differences some of them just have a different secret action figure offer bosk offer revenge of the jedi offer some of these different things change the card backs just a little bit i mean for example the difference between 12a b and c is something very small i mean it's just a few lines of text it's the placement of the two dollar offer or the uh 
the lightsaber to show whether it's a double telescoping. They have that section on the 12 A's and the 12 B's, but they don't go on to the 12 C's and have that section um, because it no longer came with an extending lightsaber. So it's stuff like that, plus the price and the proof of purchases. It went from two to, I think, six or 12. I don't know, six. Um, I don't have one in front of me or else I tell you, but uh, it went up. It increased the amount of pops, proofs of purchase pops that you would have to send in to attain your free items from Kenner. So those bags changed and uh, a lot of cardback collectors out there, that's something to really go for because those are variations in themselves. And those variations sometimes correspond to other variations with the figures. Sometimes there's Taiwan cardbacks, made in Mexico, Lily Letty, made in China cardbacks. There's different companies that made different things at different times during the Kenner line. Even if you only want to collect Boba Fett, like I do. <laughs> well, not only Boba Fett. I always keep my loose set and stuff like that. But the, if you want to have a focus and you choose a figure, there's still almost limitless amounts of possibilities for you to go through that figure and grab this variation of the card back, this variation of the card back. We have quite a few people on the IC that do runs, and I've seen some amazing ones. Hibbert does some awesome runs, 21 backs and stuff. I mean, anybody could check out his wall of gonks to see how many different cardback variations there are. That being said, it's something that you can delve into. And that being said, it's something that can really affect the price of a card. I mean, something with a revenge offer or, for example, a 48-back C, Boba Fett. And a 48-back C is a weird card. And the reason why it's weird is because it was the one with the revenge offer on it. So it's an Empire Strikes Back card. It was released during the Empire Strikes Back line, but at the very, very end, when it was about to change into Return of the Jedi. So the thing is, they put on this sticker because... Well, it wasn't a sticker. It was actually printed on. But they put it on because it was called Revenge of the Jedi for a little period of time before George Lucas decided that Jedis can't seek revenge, and he called it Return of the Jedi and then made it Revenge of the Sith eight million years later when he made up the word Sith, which we all use today. But if you'll recall, when we were little, it was called the Dark Side. <laughs> All right, moving on. What we're going to do now is we're going to go in. I don't want to spoil all the Minon card info here, and I just wanted to give you a touch of some and give you that website to check out. But uh, we're going to have Jonathan Robinson on later, and uh, he always shares for Figure of the Week, and he collects U.S. Kenner card back variations. It's, it's the thing he does. He has a collection room that looks like a KB in the early 80s. And it's amazing. So we will talk to him later. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to go into the new segment. Well, the newer segment. It's been the past three weeks we've been doing it. But it's Ask Mike. And what I do is I put up a post on the Imperial Commissary. I ask you guys to ask me anything at all. It can be about the IC. It could be about vintage Star Wars toys. It could be about new Star Wars toys. It could be anything you want to know about me. Um, and then I don't read them. And I wait all the way till now when I'm going to go ahead and record. And I go over to the IC and I pull it up. And uh, then I read the questions off. And that way you can surprise me. Hopefully it's nothing too embarrassing. But I'll try my best to answer them all no matter what they are. Um, so we'll move right into the next segment, which is Ask Mike. Okay, time for Ask Mike. Now I have pulled up the post where I asked you guys to give me some feedback. Uh, to give me some questions. The first question is from... Brian Bilyeu, why is Boba your favorite figure? Brian, I talked about it last week. Um, definitely catch that old episode. But essentially, uh, from the Bounty Hunter tales and the stories that I read after watching Return of the Jedi about Boba Fett and his uh, 
non-canon, I guess it would be referred to as now, uh, his non-canon stories. I just really like the way he is. Love the figure. Love the way it looks. Never had one when I was a kid, and uh, definitely always wanted one. My AT-AT driver was my Bobo when I was little. Uh, next up, Joseph Chambers. Joe, I, uh, I saw Joseph, uh, he came down to Nashville, and we met up, and we had some barbecue. It was really nice. Got a picture of my pocket Boba Fett with his pocket hammerhead, and, uh, it's not every day in the wild you find a pocket Boba Fett and a pocket hammerhead together having barbecue. Uh, but Joseph Chambers has a question for me. When will you stop collecting? When will be, that's enough for me? Um... I don't really see myself stopping collecting. I find that I learn something new every day when it comes to vintage Star Wars. I find it really jogs my memory. I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to be bored. I don't like to be not doing something. And vintage Star Wars gives me an outlet for that because I have learned how to tell the variations of Boba Fett, how to tell the variations of Stormtroopers, how to find COOs, how to talk to people in different countries, how to muddle through Spanish so I can make deals for Lily Letty, how to, oh shoot, I learned how to do a podcast and record it and put it up on iTunes, a thing I don't even use because I am an anti-Apple person. Um, I've built websites. I've All this stuff has been stuff that Star Wars has taught me or forced me to learn. So I don't think I'm ever going to quit collecting because collecting is a small part of what I do. And the rest of this wonderful stuff I get to enjoy is a byproduct. And it keeps me busy. So I love it. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, and as far as collecting, brother, I'm an army builder. And unless I get 200 rocket-firing Boba Fetts, I'm probably never going to stop. And to tell you the truth, what I would really like to do is cover that tower I have in rocket-firing Boba Fetts. But that would be closer to like 380-ish. And uh, I don't think they made that many. So maybe never. Maybe I'll keep hunting. Plus, until that kit bash boba shows up, I'm never going to end up uh, quitting anyway because there's always that dream out there. That's the wonderful thing about vintage Star Wars. There is always a dream to attain. There is always a grail to find. And the wonderful thing is none of them are the very last one on the planet. So you can always keep looking. Except for maybe that kit bash vet. Huh. Uh, Joe North, what was your favorite figure? Or no. What was your first figure? My very first figure, I think... Um, well, my brother had a bunch of figures. Um, he had... Not a bunch, but he had some Hoth figures. Hoth Han. He had a Falcon. He had a Hoth Imperial attack base. He had the little turret set with the probot. Um, or the probe droid. He had all that stuff. And when we went down to my grandma's, I used to play with it. And uh, I used to love it. And that's how I really got into it. And then when I started getting older... Um, well, not older, um, old enough to ask, uh, I started getting my own Star Wars stuff, and I do remember the first one that I can recall actually opening, the only one I've ever opened, because, uh, by the time I was born, it was 1980, and I was a Jedi baby at best, but Jedi on VCR kind of baby, and, uh, there was no Star Wars left in toy stores. You know what I mean? KB didn't have a closeout section in the back corner where there was Star Wars toys in 1986 when I was six years old. Um, they just didn't. So by the time I started collecting, the only one I ever found in a store, it was in a Bradley's in Torrington, Connecticut. It was in a bargain bin under a bunch of junk. Um, and I saw it there, and it was a Leia Bosch on a beater card, totally destroyed. Um... With a bunch of price saving stickers on it, and it was 99 cents. And I did open it in the car on the way home in the back of my mom's car. So I do remember that. That was the first one I think I ever bought, bought. Um, 
besides that, my brother got everything and I got handed down. I was the third child in a family of three children. So <laughs> if everything I got was used, maybe that's why I like Star Wars so much. <laughs> uh, next one up, uh, Dave O'Brien. Dave O'Brien's a nice guy uh, up in Chicago there. Uh, out of the cardboard playsets, which is your favorite one? Mine is the Bespin playset. You know what, Dave? I love the Bespin playset because I really like the cartoony look of it. Um, I'm not a big fan of cardboard playsets. I think it kind of was Kenner robbing people. <laughs> but I guess they were cheap enough back in the day. And seeing as how the new cardboard playset for Hasbro, that BB-8, is $200, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but I really like the Hoth playset. Um... The Bespin playset is great for a cardboard, uh, but I do like the Hoth, but the Hoth is pretty much the Jawa one. They're pretty much the same. You know what? If I had to pick one, I would say the Palatoid Death Star. It's massive. Um, it has that cartoony feel of the uh, of the Cloud City one of the Bespin playset. I, I like that one. That's the one I would pick, I think. Uh, Jimmy Chang, up next. Are there fellow IC members in Massachusetts? Jimmy Chang, absolutely. There's tons of IC members in Massachusetts. Who can I think of off the top of my head? Uh, I don't know. There's a million of them. But uh, the way you can check it out is either put up a post on the IC, say, hey, I'm in Massachusetts. I'd like to see if there's any friends here that I can play Star Wars with. Or you can go over to ZMaps. Um, there's a bunch of links on the IC. I put it up. I don't know, once every couple months. And we have a map. We have a member map. And there are little pegs all over the world. You can add your name to that map and maybe find a friend in your area. But uh, I find that many friends find their other friends on the IC. Um, I know of a couple Australian guys never knew each other before, met each other on the IC, and the IC is sort of a group based in America, even though we're very international. Um, but they live right down the road, and they're best buds. So that worked out. <laughs> uh, let me see here. Next one up, Garen Overfield. Why do you think the vintage Star Wars is still so popular? I mean, the modern figs have better scopes, better articulation, and variety, but still collectors flock to vintage, and many these days who are not alive for these figures' original release. Kind of myself, born in 84, so I don't remember ever seeing these in stores and didn't have them as kids. Well, that was what I was just talking about. I'm a 1980 baby, um, so I hear you. Uh, what is the draw? The draw for me personally is I used to play with these things all the time. They were what my brother wouldn't let me play with, so therefore I really wanted to play with. And once I got into grade school and stuff, I fell into a group of guys that that's what we played. At the sleepovers and stuff, it would be big, giant G.I. Joe playsets filled with Star Wars figures. You know, that's how we used to play. But um, So that's where I still have that nostalgia touch to it. Um, what is going to happen, though, is there are Star Wars fans. And what happens is when there's a fan of anything, once they have enough money, they go and they try to buy the best example of something that they love. So will they go buy Power of the Force 2 figures? Maybe. But I mean, the sculpts aren't better. And if you're going to say the Black Series sculpts are better, I mean, shoot, Luke farm boy black series looks like he has clogs on. So I disagree. Um, the Falcon shoots nerf darts. You know what? I, I don't think new figures are better than old figures. I mean, my wife has a shelf of modern. Let me correct that. My wife used to have a shelf of modern, which has since come down uh, for awesome vinyl Jawas and whatnot. Uh, but still, it's it's in, it's in a box um, in one of the very many boxes around my house that are have have written on the side of them uh, sell on eBay, but they never, ever get there. 
<laughs> but uh, she's got a whole box of them on it. The reason why is because they didn't fit in the stands. Um, Ian makes those great stands, but these ones didn't fit. They were the 3.75 Rebels, and they just, the feet aren't shaped right or something. Um, so what happened is she took those, and she was putting them all up. And the Darth Maul and the Seven Sister, they just keep falling over keep falling over every time i walk in the room they keep falling over i mean i'm a big guy but my dog weighs five pounds and she could walk in the room they'll fall over so stuff like that drives me nuts when you could take a stormtrooper from 77 slam him down on a table and he'll stand up i mean these things stand it's what they're made for i have a stack of them in front of me standing up um do they stand better with stands absolutely do they need a stand not as much as the new ones do so i think you lose that but now that I've gone down a I hate modern rat hole, but I really don't hate modern. I actually just bought the, the Thrawns. Um, some of them are cool. But uh, now that I've gone down that rat hole, let's get back to the actual question, which is why do people flock to vintage and why will they continue to? The reason why they continue to is because with anything, you want the oldest, the most original, the best example you could get. If I could get the Death Star from Gus Lopez, I sure as heck would. I mean, that's a heck of an opportunity, and that's better than having a Kenner Death Star. But I would have the Kenner Death Star as a placeholder until Gus gives me a buzz. <laughs> Same thing happens with anything in life, anything that anyone collects, any kind of movie memorabilia. Everybody wants the original. I mean, they don't want a Velociraptor finger from Jurassic World half as much as they want a velociraptor finger from the original jurassic park which happened shoot now i don't even know i don't have it up in front of me but it's got to be 25 years plus i mean why wouldn't you want the new one why wouldn't you want the new toys why are jurassic park toys so popular the reason why is because people want that original i mean it's the same reason why a bottle of wine from the 1700s is going to be worth so much more or a picasso or a anything like that once all these people that invented this stuff and made this stuff and produced this stuff all pass away and the companies are long gone, which is already where it's at. These things change. They go from a toy, even though I love them and even though I play with them, they go from a toy to an item with a specific monetary value. So, if Rick Springfield wants to show off to his friends, he's going to buy a rocket firing Boba Fett and put it up on his mantle. If Leonardo DiCaprio wants to blow 10 grand on something, why not buy a yak face on a Tuesday? He doesn't care. I mean, these guys do it. There's so many collectors out there that collect this stuff. And it's so well known that if people see a Princess Leia from, oh gosh, Power of the Force 2 where she looked like Ape Man or Austin Powers when he's pretending to be a, a girl and whatever. It was out of control. but uh, And they put it up against a vintage one. Not only are they going to see that more time, effort, and care was put into the vintage one, and it's not anywhere near as ugly, but they're also going to see that that one's the original, and you can tell it's a Leia. I mean, that's very important, so people are going to want that one. That's the one that you want. You don't want whatever one came out last week because it's a value thing. I mean, as much as we all like to play with our toys or pretend they have no value in order to not lose the nostalgia aspect of it, they do. I mean, there is nobody out there selling a Boba Fett to me for 10 bucks anymore. That is a thing that used to happen a long time ago. It does not happen anymore. I mean, so I'm not going to go, if I ever sell a Boba Fett, and sell him for 10 bucks. And neither is anybody else. 
because there is an intrinsic value to these things. You do not just throw away money. I mean, we all have bills. We all have life things. We all have different things besides Star Wars that we spend money on. So there is no way that once I pass away, I'm not going to want my wife to get every single penny she can for every single vintage Star Wars guy I have. And that's how everybody else thinks too. It's the whole reason why grading companies exist, because they want to protect it for people that can't tell the difference. I know it's sad, I know it's weird, but it is the way of the beast now, and that will continue to have it be a collectible and have a massive value for years and years to come, just like wine or art or stamps or, oh shoot, baseball cards even. I mean, no one, I've never seen Mickey Mantle play. I certainly wouldn't want a Barry Bonds rookie card instead of a Mickey Mantle rookie card. And I've never seen him play. I've never seen Joe DiMaggio play. I got his autograph right here. I mean, that's what we do as collectors is we want the original. That's the point. If we wanted a copy or a repro or something modern, <laughs> we'd just buy that. Modern is for playing. Vintage is for collectors. And modern is for flipping. If that's your thing, go ahead and flip it. If you actually think about it, and I know I'm not going to get any friends with this from the modern era, but every piece of modern that's kept in the package seems to be for people to eventually flip it just in case they get lucky and it ends up to be the new fur baby or Furby or whatever that thing, Hatchimal. So they all give it a shot. So they go out there Force Friday and they kill each other and I've seen some of them come back with 50 Throns and what are you going to do with that? What... What's the point? I mean, unless you're going to flip it, unless you're going to just make a straight business out of it. If that's your business, then go do that as a business. That's fine. Couldn't care less. I just know that it's not for me personally. And I don't understand why anyone would buy something to put it on their wall in the package forever that's brand new. I mean, certain things, sure. They fit your focus, sure. Like the 40th anniversary ones. You like those? You want to keep them in the box? Keep them up on your wall? Sure, go for it. I like the Disney diecast. The only reason why I didn't take them out of the box is because I took the first one out of the box and it kept falling over because they're horribly designed, but I kept buying them because I'm a moron. Out of everybody I've talked to and out of everybody I've interviewed and everybody I've spoken with through PM on the IC, I don't think that I can recall ever meeting or speaking to anyone ever that started off the first day vintage Star Wars came out and never opened to anything. Just bought them, put them on the wall, put them on the shelf. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere who had the foresight and thought to do that, but it's not how you play with toys. I mean, you get the toy, you open the toy. If it eventually becomes worth money 50 years down the line, great. If not, who cares? I mean... The point is, is it's for the fun and that nostalgia factor and that wonder. And we are the very last generation that's going to have the chance for that. I mean, this is going to go into... It already has. It's been sold at Sotheby's. It's been sold at major auction houses all over the world. It's a commodity. It is no longer just a nostalgic item. And everybody who buys and sells anything on the high end realizes that. Because you cannot justify spending $15,000 on some Boba Fett that's just a little piece of plastic if it does not have that actual value. And personally, I believe that the modern will never reach this precipice that vintage does because the day that modern came out, 
there were hundreds of people that bought everything they could and didn't open any of it because vintage already had a value so they were specking the future and that happens still today why do you think stuff sells out on force friday it is not just people that want to open up that brand new weird yellow girl worker thing whatever it is i don't even know what that is if anyone knows what that is feel free to send me a message and tell me because it's i don't even know i don't even know she looks like she should be hauling crab out of a trap on the deadliest catch well, anyway, see, that's what happens when I talk about modern. I'm sorry, but I hope I answered your question, Gavin, on my 20-minute rant on modern issues. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Jay Smith's up next. Uh, if you could go back to 1985 and run Kenner, what pieces would you have them make? In other words, how would you have, have liked to see the Kenner line continue? Uh, for them to continue the line, I would have liked them to go into... Hmm. Well, they could have made more characters. They could have just kept making characters. People would have had to buy them. The problem is they would have had to keep making movies. If Kenner could still make stuff today, I mean, I would love the Kenner BB-8. I would love the... Actually, I get some vintage figures that I redo. Uh, I would love a chopper. I would love the Revels in the vintage style. I would love... Uh, I think the biggest reason why the Kenner lie died is because Star Wars was over. There were no new Star Wars movies, there was nothing new to hype it, the books really didn't start coming out yet like that, um, so I think that they lost their foothold. With The 70s was a wild time, and people loved it in the 70s, but once the 80s came around, people wanted a different kind of wild time. They wanted Gordon Gecko wild time in the back of a limousine. They didn't want Beatles Yellow Submarine wild time. So what happened is when... They came out with the Droids and Ewoks series. It was already too late. It was past its time. You can't come out with some weird, trippy cartoon. And the fan base did not connect with that. I mean, if you think about it, everybody who was diehard Star Wars way back then is really nerdy, nerdy like me. I mean, and I wasn't into any of that. I mean, there wasn't time for that because there's no time for that if you have to learn every single word to Empire. <laughs> uh, on to the next question Eric Silvero if you had to choose between two grails which would you choose Kit Bash Boba Fett or Rocket Firing Boba Fett Kit Bash Boba Fett all day man uh, uh, Rocket Firing Boba Fett they are practically growing on trees they're literally not everywhere but there's quite a few of them Kit Bash there was only that one and supposedly it's gone so I'd definitely take that because there will not be another chance that one even though I always say these things are not Highlander that one is. Uh, next up, Tony Capello. When is Andrea going to sell her Minon card Letty Jawa to me? Pretty please. <laughs> That's funny, brother. Um, Never-ish. Uh, she is... She has a tighter vice grip on her stuff than I do on mine. And uh, I don't see me selling any Boba Fett, so... You're going to have to wait, brother. I suggest uh, a trip to Mexico or connecting with some of the wonderful Mexican guys on the IC that'll help you out, hopefully. But, yeah, it's a it's a task, man. But she loves that one. It's not going anywhere, I'm quite sure. Uh, next up, Bill Hudson. Which has been your favorite meetup so far and why? Well, that's tough, Bill. I can't really pick a favorite. Uh... Well, you know what? I would say Lexington was the first, which was really, really cool. I didn't think anybody was going to show up. I opened up the room. I put the sodas in the corner, and I hoped. And then people did show up, and that was awesome. 
And that was the first time that I really thought that this thing wasn't a bunch of bots on the internet talking to me, but actual human beings that shared the interests I shared. So that was phenomenal. Um, I'd say another one that was great was the, uh, the celebration one, man. The, I couldn't believe how many people were in that room. I cannot believe how many people walk through that room that are part of the IC. How many people were in Florida? How many people are Star Wars fans? And how many people are IC that would actually come to a meetup? It's... It's phenomenal. I think I'm most excited for the recent one coming up. I, I like the next one. That's the best. Always the next one. That is the best I see meetup. What is my favorite? The next one. And the reason why I'm just psyched, man. It's something to look forward to. I can't wait to meet all you guys that I haven't met. I can't wait to meet all and hang out with all my friends that I've already made over all the other meetups. I can't wait to buy some cool vintage. Maybe trade some stuff. That's when the best trades happen. It's when it's in person. And uh, it's a great time. And it is so wonderful. I mean, you know how it is. Everybody knows how it is that still collects and used to collect a long time ago. When we were younger... If you love Star Wars, there were certain groups of people you never ever brought it up in front of because you'd be labeled a nerd or a loser or whatever. And it is not like that anymore. And so it is kind of cool to have this group where you can meet up with all the people that are the true fans, are the real ones who have been around forever, and even if they just started loving Star Wars a couple years ago, they are true fans. Not just somebody who wears a princess leia shirt because it happens to be trendy at some club you know what i mean just people that actually like star wars you can sit down you can have a conversation with them and they'll know who boba fett is and you'd be surprised how many people in this world don't um next one richard trose trosclair when you finally get your rocket firing FET, remember to please shoot the rocket off his back. Brother, of course. That's why everybody I've told, they ask me. The first question out of somebody's mouth if you're trying to kick around for a rocket FET is, do you want it AFA or do you want it loose? And I say, I don't care either way, but I'm shooting the rocket. So even if it's AFA, I'm cracking it out. <laughs> so don't worry, brother. You don't got to convince me. Guaranteed that's happening. Uh, Marsha Parkins, when will there be a UK Euro IC meetup? You know what, Marsha? Anytime two IC members that's meetup, that's a meetup. So you grab somebody IC and have a beer, and that counts. <laughs> but actually, in all seriousness, um, I am planning on doing a UK one sometime next year. Um, in May, they start doing direct trips for British Airways from Nashville to London. So it's going to make it a lot easier for me to get out there. I haven't been to England for, oh shoot, I think like four years. But uh, I haven't started on Palatoy yet. I've been working on Letty, so I keep going to Mexico. <laughs> Uh, Garen Overfield again. Do you think the original Kit Batfesh still exists? Kit Bashed Fett still exists. Um, no, I don't because someone would have taken the truck full of money for it by now. If it does exist, it's in a black hole collection and uh, we won't find out till someone kicks the bucket. <laughs> Which is a horrible way to look at it. But you know what? If you're going to be a secret ninja black hole collection guy and never share with anybody, it's something like that. Not even a picture then you know what, man? I hope I find that storage locker for $5. <laughs> okay, next up. Uh, Paige Ryder, how did you get that awesome Michael Fett graphic? Uh, my business card in my picture, that's uh, George Baiega. Uh He uh, made it for Collector's Galaxy way back in the day when we did that podcast, and I have continued to use it on everything because I love it. Uh, but he's a really good guy. He's on the ICU. You should uh, look him up. If you have any questions, I could actually, I will 
right on the bottom of this question who it is. And that way you can speak with him and maybe he can make you one. Uh, next up, Robert Curtis. Okay, this one is sometimes a touchy subject. Oh boy. Let's see. I see a lot of people asking, not just on the IC, but all vintage toy groups, value on their finds or childhood items. I see countless go to eBay for the price for answers. Is eBay really the end sor- end all source for pricing your items? I ask this because with so many almost bad word bid wars that flood the Star Wars vintage market, I am sure I am not sure I could even trust the prices I found. Everyone has seen them is it's not slick when it's done, but prices can be artificially inflated. With that said, should eBay really be the end-all price reference to see newbies search value? If one of my questions came out too noob, don't bother with it. No worries, brother. No question is too noob. Every question is good to ask. eBay is massive. Massive, massive, massive. I don't care how much you don't like Walmart. You're going to eventually buy something from Walmart. There's a Walmart every seven and a half feet, and they are massive. eBay, the whole wide world buys, buys and sells on eBay. Everything from shoes to socks to Star Wars toys to scissors to hats doesn't matter. It's on eBay. I actually just bought an air pack mailer because I've been trying to fix my packaging because I'm sick of carrying 8 billion packets of uh, packaging peanuts everywhere. So I bought one of these air pack machines and what it does is this machine and it makes those air bubble bags which is really cool. But um, the reason why I got it is because it'll save me the hassle of having to buy packaging peanuts from Staples for $8 billion for them to drop off the world's tiniest bag. But I can just buy those baggies I need for it from eBay. That's where you get them. Um, eBay is massive. So yes, is it the best place to find a price? I don't know about that. But is it a legitimate way to find a market price? Absolutely. The thing is with eBay... I I equated eBay to this the other day on the IC. I said, eBay is like the Autobahn. And buying vintage Star Wars is like driving a car. We all drive cars, and it's all perfectly safe. And you go back and forth to work every day, no problem. And the reason why is because we have all gone through courses or training or a family member in a parking lot to learn how to drive a vehicle. We don't just go right onto the Autobahn, because if we did, it would be bad. And that's the thing with eBay. eBay is the Autobahn. It is meant for professionals. It is high speed. It is quick, quick, quick decisions if you want to get anything good for a good price. And that's what eBay is. So you have to have a real good grip on the market before you should even be touching eBay. Now, as you say, with eBay sold auction listings, is that the best way to look? Sure. It's a great way to look because the reason why is you could go onto eBay sold auction listings and find... 99.99% of the vintage Star Wars items, at least all the common things, and by common I mean anything that you see every day. You know, a Lando Minon card or a Last 17 Minon card that isn't one of the top five or something like that. I mean, not something very rare like a rocket firing Boba Fett or something like that. That's You're not going to see those on eBay either. Um, But what you can do is you look up a, I don't know, say a Lando General. And you go look up, type up Lando General Vintage on eBay. Go over to the box where you can click Advanced and then go down and click Sold Auctions. And right there, you're going to literally have 
all the information you need about a Lando General. There's going to be 40 of them sold in the past month, and you can make an average price from those. Throw out the ones that are really crazy low. Throw out the ones that are really crazy high. Throw out the ones that are repro. And then you have an idea of what Lando General should cost at this time. An easier way to do it is the Star Wars Tracker app. Jared Cope, a member of the IC, made it a few years ago. There is an IC coupon code. Just PM me if you want it. Um, but uh, he made it. And what it does is it mines the data from all these different websites. It even mines them from a couple of the Star Wars auction groups on Facebook. The thing is you can unselect those as part of the market because sometimes things on those sites go very very low stuff not ending on the right time or ending at the right time and nobody noticing i mean ebay you sell something in the last three days of an ebay auction every single person who's ever looked at it ever is going to get a reminder that says hey bid on this or hey this auction's ending soon or something like that with the facebook groups it doesn't really do that so i don't think it gives you the best idea of what the market price is but yes, you can glean enough data in order to get market price from eBay sold auctions. And it's definitely the best way because eBay is so massive, it's everywhere. Um, so you can't just discount it because it's eBay. Um, let me see what else. All right, next one up. Uh, Chris and Luann Robinson. What do you think about collectors cheating the system on the new toys that are not supposed to be out yet, but due to neglect, they are put out and will not scan, but they cheat? By using a figure that is out to price check. How do you think this would have worked during the classic line back in the day? You know what? I'll tell you the truth. This goes back to my long rant on modern. Um, I don't care uh, what they want to do. Um, I know you put collectors in quotes because you obviously think that they're um, flipping or running some sort of scam or something like that. Um, I don't think it's anybody's job but Target or Walmart to run their own business. If they don't train people properly, that's on them. If they put out stock they're not supposed to, that's on them. Um, as far as people cheating the system to get new toys, blah, 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 blah. All right. I don't mean to be difficult, but nobody's cheating the system. I mean, they're paying for the item they're not stealing. Uh, so personally, I don't see that there's anything wrong with it. And how do I think this would have worked during the classic line era? I don't think it would have worked during the classic line era because people went into stores in the vintage times to go buy a stormtrooper because they like stormtroopers or Darth Vader because he was cool and they wanted to open them up and they wanted to do battles in his backyard. Now people stand outside these stores and beat each other to death so they can make a buck the next day. And that is garbage. And if that's the reason why you're buying this modern or why you're trying to squeeze it out before early, who cares? I'm never going to buy it from you. And the people that do buy it are the ones that are beating each other up because they think it's going to be worth more or because they have to have it. I cannot believe that Celebration exclusive Luke Skywalker is worth like 280 bucks now. It is completely insane. It is a Luke X-Wing. Go buy one of the 75 other Black Series type Luke X-Wings on the planet. Please stop buying $300, $400. Why? Why? Why do you need it? Why do you want it? But who knows? That's that's with everything. Why do you need it? Why do you want it? And that's what makes up the market price. And I don't mean to be difficult, and I know I got a little frustrated there, and I don't mean to do that either, but I am reading these live, so that's that. Um, but nobody would have ever gone in in 1977 and bought Luke Skywalker earlier, fought for it. I mean, nobody does that. Nobody. Ugh. They're supposed to be toys. They're supposed to be for fun. They're supposed to be playing with. Even vintage, that was the original intention of them. 
Now everybody's trying to make sure they get everything mint pristine in the package. You know what I got? I got Thrawn and I got that Poe helmet. And you know what I did? I went home and I opened them and I took a picture and I put it up on the boards because it looks cool. And now they sit there and they'll probably end up in a box or in the garbage eventually or given away because what am I ever going to do with them? What am I ever going to do with a Poe helmet that's literally half the size it should be? Nothing, but I wanted it, so I opened it. But these people that are fighting each other tooth and nail in order to make a nickel, I mean, sure, you can do that. Go ahead. I mean, that's what eBay at Christmas is made up of. It's just not my particular cup of tea, and I couldn't imagine fighting over them, let alone caring if other people do. Um, so anyway, sorry, I don't mean to be difficult there, but I, I don't think that, as I said before, the, the collecting thing with me is if you collect to collect, cause it's something you want. If you're just buying all the new stuff, cause you need to have all the new stuff or cause you want to show off that you have all the new stuff. It's ridiculous. And those people that keep buying that yellow dock worker, whatever it is, I mean, just so you can have it, just because maybe one day it'll be worth something. You know what? There is some fool out there with a garage full of Constable Zuvios, and I couldn't care less. Because that's on them for being that guy that bought all of them. Uh, next up, Robin Rosenberg. How do you know what is a really good price on a vintage figure? How do you know someone isn't trying to take advantage of someone like myself, who is a new collector? I'm trying to find decent ones from for Baz, my three-year-old son who loves Star Wars. I'm not trying to collect 300 of each character. I just want one decent one of each. So seriously, do I just go with my gut? But only on the pages. Avoid Evil Bay. Oh, if anyone has any out there, I'm still looking for a decent blue snaggletooth for like $100-ish. But that's probably too low. Um, brother, uh, you can buy from trusted sellers on eBay. You can buy from trusted sellers on the IC. You can buy from the pages. I suggest that you join up, uh, IC 101. It's uh, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ICSW 101. Um, over there, they will run you through all the beginning starts of trying to vintage collect. Um, you do have to be realistic. Um, for a decent blue snaggletooth, as you said in your post, they haven't been $100 for about five years, brother. Um, or it's Robin. I don't know if you're a boy or a girl, so I'm calling you, brother. I'm sorry, but it might be Robin or Robin. Robin Masters from Magnum PI. That's a guy. So who knows? Anyway, either way, Robin. Um, <laughs> I. The best advice I can give you is to pick your price points. And to just search and hunt until you find stuff for under that price point. But keep your price point somewhat realistic. If you want to talk about a $200, maybe okay condition blue snaggletooth, sure. But when dead mint ones are going for about $450, bucks, you can't expect to find one for 100 bucks. And if you do find one for 100 bucks, there's a good chance it's going to be repro from eBay or something like that. I find that being excessively low-valued on... The front end sets your expectations too high and also makes it impossible for you to ever find something that's legitimate for that price. This is Vintage Star Wars. There's apps to tell you how much stuff is worth. There's eBay. There is a serious market for this stuff, so everybody knows. There's no way you're just going to come on a... All right, look at it this way. This is the best way that I can explain it. If you have a $100 bill, would you sell that $100 bill for 10 bucks? No, 
but nobody ever looks at it like that for some reason. But that's the way it is. I mean, that's the same reason why people that complain about prices, you never ever see them go ahead and post something up for cheaper, do you? <laughs> and the reason why is because you can't. You can't. It's different. The The market is different. I mean, it has a real value. This stuff all has a value. So if you expect to grab up figures for dirt cheap, I mean... If you want a complete set, shoot, I think complete sets were going for about $3,800, bucks, 4 grand like a year ago. I mean, you're not going to be able to get a complete set for a couple hundred bucks. It's just never going to happen. And I don't mean to be difficult. You can go out there and you can hunt yard sales. But to tell you the truth, I don't think I bought a Darth Vader head with half full in the past five years for under a couple hundred bucks. I mean, that's just, they cost. There is no figure that's 10 bucks complete. It doesn't exist anymore. They don't exist. I mean, even weak ways or something like that may be a weak way. But no, I don't think so because you could take the weapon, you could sell the weapon on eBay for nine bucks. So why would you sell a weak way? You could sell it for three bucks and then you're up to 12 bucks. So even 12 bucks for a weak way. And you're certainly never going to get into Yodas or Leia's or Jawa's or anything. Boba Fett's pff, for 10 bucks. I'll buy all the Boba Fett's in the world for 10 bucks. <laughs> but, um, there's lots of ways to learn how to play and uh, learn how to buy and learn how to collect, especially if you're starting new. But definitely just reach out to somebody. Reach out to somebody on the IC. Reach out to the guys on IC 101 or even reach out to me. I'm very accessible. Um, but that way we'll get you started. And once you, once you immerse yourself in this, once you really get a good handle on it, it's like with anything else. I mean, the best downhill skier in the world did not get on skis the very first day and was the best downhill skier in the world that's just not how it works you know the the williams sisters were not born with tennis rackets in their hand they just became very good at it eventually after lots and lots of work so that's the same thing you got to do with star wars lots and lots of work but that's what makes it fun um ross bar is up next what is your favorite thing about being an admin of such an active facebook collecting group that's a nice question, buddy. Um, and what's your least favorite? Okay, what is my favorite thing about being an admin of a big Facebook group? Wow, put me on the spot, Ross. Um, you know what? My favorite thing about being an admin of a big Facebook group is that when something bad happens or something comes up or there is an issue, I actually have the ability to do something about it. Um, whether it's a member who had a tough time or with these storms that keep coming that, you know, if the storm happened, I could actually do something about that. I can help out. If it's the IC charity raffle, I can help out. And the reason why is because I have a good enough voice to do so. Um, I can also help out with little disputes or mediate between two or more of the big guys. And those things help too. I also like the ability to be able to talk to people and be able to have them work it out because they know that I'm never going to steer them wrong. I'm always going to try to do my best to do everything I can to make the community better and to grow the community. And with a group like this, I'm able to do it. I was looking at the metrics of the IZ the other day, and it's phenomenal. I mean, it said in the past 28 days here, let me look it up because I just had it, but sorry. Well, this is what you get when you do stuff live. Um, 667 new members in the past 28 days. Um, 101,000, 101.8,000 posts, comments, or reactions. I mean, that's crazy. And what I, uh, what I noticed the other day here, let me try to find it. Okay. In the last 28 days, there have been 10.8 thousand active members. That means out of the 14,000 members, 
10.8 thousand were active in the past month. So if you actually do the math on that, with the 14,000 members on the IC, if 10.8 of them are active, then that means we have a 77% active rate for our members, which is complete insanity. I mean, for an active Facebook group to be considered an active Facebook group, you're looking for about 30% member participation. So you're looking for about 30% of the number of members you have to participate. With us at a number like 77, that's ridiculous and I can't do anything but thank my admin squad my mod squad the IC mod squad for running to such a tight ship with me that keeps only good members in the IC and uh, I really appreciate it um, what is my least favorite thing about running a majorly active group um, drama and the angry people I would have to say I don't really understand why people really get into it so much over something that is supposed to be an escape for us I want everybody to be friends, and I know that is a dreamer's attitude and a complete impossibility. But it is not a complete impossibility to act civilly in a society. And that's all I'm asking. With all the rules of the IC, with all the anti-drama, with all the no cussing out other members, with all of those rules, all I'm asking is for you to act civilly in society as others would act towards you. That's it. It's really not difficult, it's really not hard, and it's really not rough. So I would definitely say that is the most difficult thing about being an admin of a very large group, is the folks that don't read the rules, or else read the rules and decide to disregard them. When they're very, very simple, I mean, I could really wipe every single rule of the IC and just say, hey, don't be a jerk. Every single rule fits into that one rule, but you got to write them out or else people will try to circumvent it. I do have one last question here that was uh, through email. It's my first email question on IC Star Wars, but it was um, it was Michael. As a new vintage collector, I would like to know how you feel about peroxide baths for figures to remove the yellowish tint from them. I got my first vintage Wampa a few weeks ago and did some research and asked around on the IC about giving him a peroxide bath to whiten him up. My 10-year-old daughter has since talked me out of it, stating that they are vintage and should remain unaltered. What are your thoughts? Thank you, Andre to Jesus. Um, <laughs> my thoughts are your daughter is a very smart person. Um, she is a very smart 10-year-old. I will be looking forward to voting for her in the future for the President of the United States. Um, I agree with her completely. Uh, stuff that's vintage should remain vintage. There's no real reason to do it. But that being said, the policy at the IC has always been, it is your toy, do what you want with it. Now, people have given me gruff in the past for that statement. And the reason why is because they say, oh, well, people are just going to rip off carded figures and they're going to rip them open and they're just going to go around ripping open Boba Fetts. <laughs> Nobody's going to go around ripping open Boba Fetts. If somebody is inclined to do so, if they're inclined to be a person that rips stuff off of cards, they're going to do it no matter what I say, because they're that kind of person. Um, if you ever notice whenever anybody wants to rustle some feathers or start some drama and they do put up a post like that, um, I'll let the post ride. The reason why I do is because obviously the community is going to tell them why they're incorrect in doing it. Um, but also it just doesn't matter. I mean, you look at it and it's it's somebody who's putting up a clatu or something and ripping it off the card and going, oh, I really want them to be all perfect, and that's why I'm doing it. And you're full of beans, brother, because no. <laughs> People don't... You get to a certain point where you're not ripping a Boba Fett off the card. No way. Nobody's going to do it. 
Bull. Shenanigans. I pull out my broom and call shenanigans. It's never going to happen. So, it's not really a battle you have to fight, and the people that do that usually aren't long for this community anyhow. So I really wouldn't worry about it. As far as the bleaching and stuff, if people bleach figures like C-3PO and Death Star Droid in order to strip them down, I think that's wrong. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't like it when people do it. Once again, it's your toy. Do what you want, but always disclose. Uh, my biggest problem with that is there were some people that were uh, stripping them down and they were putting them up on eBay and selling them as rare variants for hundreds of dollars. And uh, yes, that I have an issue with. Um, as long as you disclose... It's your toy. Do whatever you want. I mean, if you want to tape a rocket pack to him, go ahead. It's yours. Um, it's not mine. I can't tell you what to do with your stuff. But uh, your daughter, I definitely agree with. My personal opinion is don't bleach. The world needs sand troopers too. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a sand trooper. Wampa, I mean, a wampa's been out there on Hoth for years. He's got to go to the bathroom eventually. He's not going to have a shower. I think it's more realistic for you to think he'd be yellow. Um... But yes, great question, and do what you want is the moral of that story. But also, well, you know what? This falls back into how I was just saying the rules of the IC could all be changed, and they could all just be one rule. Don't be a jerk. So, don't be a jerk. <laughs> if you do want to clean it, or if you do want to bleach it, feel free. Just, just disclose it. Always make sure that the next person in line has all the information you have. It's the only fair way to buy and sell vintage Star Wars toys. Thanks for the question, brother. Thank you for my first email question. And that was the last question. So thank you very much for the questions. Thank you so much for uh, submitting them as it gives me something to answer and talk about. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into our interview of the fifth episode of IC Star Wars with Jonathan Robinson, where we're going to delve into the card bag variations. The Emperor has been expecting you. Welcome to another exciting interview of IC Star Wars. Today I have Jonathan Robinson here. He is a major Kenner US cardback variation collector, and I'm glad to have uh, the opportunity to speak with him today. Um, it's always tough to get to know somebody in a quick interview, but here at IC Star Wars, I do a lightning round to break that ice. So, Jonathan, welcome. Thank you, Michael. And Pleasure are, to be here. Are you ready to do a uh, lightning round real quick? Yes, sir. All right, brother. Uh, what's your favorite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Nice. Favorite character? I'd say Han. Favorite wave of Star Wars toy line from A New Hope to TFA? Empire Strikes Back, I would say. Nice. Well, I'm going to have to switch that, man. I'm going to have to be like through, uh, what is the new one? The Last Jedi, right? <laughs> yes. Switch it up. <laughs> they keep making new ones. Uh, Lando versus Han in Mortal Kombat. Who wins and why? That's a tough one. Mm, it is. Uh, they're so equal in so, so many ways. Uh, but I think that uh, Han's uh, that much more of a scoundrel. Sure enough. All right, Lucasfilm gives you a buzz tomorrow, and they say you can choose the next spinoff. What do you pick? Mm, mm. I mean, I don't want to be absurd, you know, because <laughs> I think that you could go any route with that. I, I you know, obviously the, the Kenobi thing is, is just perfect. And I think it, you know, it won't disappoint. So along that route, uh, I mean, it would be awesome to see more about, I don't know, Vader, maybe some more of his exploits uh, yeah. past uh, New Hope. So I would enjoy to see a little bit more Vader action. Did you like the Vader action in uh, Rogue One? 
surprisingly so yeah Uh, that was amazing i enjoyed it too (laughs) well cool brother see that wasn't too painful great lightning round and uh what we're going to do is we're going to introduce you to some of our listeners. Jonathan here, he's a member of the Imperial Commissary. I've met him a couple times, and it's always been a blast. Uh, he's uh, He has a, a awesome collection, and what it does is it actually transports you back to the days of the pegs at KB when it was bursting with vintage. Um, he's extremely knowledgeable about U.S. Kenner, and I'm very excited to have him on IC Star Wars. So without further ado, uh, what do you say to some essay questions? Um, I'm ready. All right, brother. What is your first Star Wars memory? That would be, I believe, my uh, mother bringing home uh, some figures from a garage sale because I was born in 76 and I I missed, uh, I would say, Star Wars and Empire as far as uh, when they were first released, obviously. So in 81 or end of 80, uh, she had hit the dried cells in the neighborhood and came back with some interesting pieces, which one included a blue snaggle tooth. Of, I, I didn't know what he was. But wow, good job, Mom. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, that would be my first memory. And then, of course, when, once they came on to like, HBO and uh, uh, television, uh, that uh, you know, of course, I got to see Jedi. So that was the first one in the theater. Uh, but that would be the first memory, I would say, is seeing those toys as she came back uh, from her rounds uh, on a Saturday. That's awesome. Um, what got you into actually collecting the figures, not just playing with them, but putting them up on a shelf? So, you know, I mean, obviously played with them as a kid, but I guess the real collector mentality came about in 89, I want to say. And I was collecting G.I. Joe. I should say I was playing with G.I. Joe in tandem with Star Wars as Star Wars obviously would fade into history, you know, in the mid '80s. Technically, for you know, as we knew it, it fade into history. But GI Joe would continue on until '94. By the time '89 came around, I kind of gets got sick and tired of looking at the same iteration of a figure from GI Joe. Just you know, it was just painted differently, or it came with you know different color accessories or something like that. And it's just like this is is this the way GI Joe's going? I think I've had enough of it. Mm-hmm. So at that point the nostalgia kicked in for me to go back and say, Hey, since I didn't get to come into star Wars with the other older children, and I'm really technically a Jedi kid. Uh, I would like to see if any of those items are still available that I could still pick up, mm-hmm. you know, from those time periods. So, cause there was so much I was missing, but what I had, I was happy to have it. And, uh, uh, basically started the hunt there. And of course, by 92, I was collecting uh, men on card. Of course, I, I didn't really call it that. I don't know if people were calling it that at that point. But, uh, what just was the figures. terminology? Just carded figures? I would say it was just carded because I can't remember if MOC came about you know, somewhere a little bit later in the say mid-90s or something like that. Or maybe the, the true diehards were using MOC. And I was just you know one of those guys out in the, the Netherlands, you know, just technically didn't know about it until I started seeing SWCA, you know, or uh, Toys R Gus was the website that I always went to in the mid nineties. But, uh, I, you know, I might've probably seen it there. I was a part of the, uh, the old, uh, message boards and everything that the, uh, early rebel scum members were. And, um, so, but that technically was the start of the collector mentality because I, I have to kind of separate my time as a child 
from that, even though it did say collect all 92. And yes, you know, you're kind of following orders on the, from the back of a, an action figure card. But it's like it didn't to me as I look back in hindsight, like I wasn't really collecting then as a child. It's just they were given to me. And right. what little money I could scrounge up, I would go buy, you know, if, if, if I was thinking about it, uh, you know, something I didn't, a figure I didn't have or a, a vehicle. And, but it was more like more or less because I wanted to play with it you know, right. and I wanted to, you know, interact with it. And as a collector, I just hang them and just, you know, pose them on a on a, um, a shelf or, you know, or as, as a box, I guess, display a box as much as you can, bookend it or whatever, stack, mm-hmm. uh, stack it. And and uh, but that's not playing with it. You know, so it's really I think it's two different categories. I know other people disagree and that's that's obviously cool and everything. But I just uh, I, I that that's how I look at it. So 89, I would say. Well, that's a main part of it, man. Uh, everybody's going to have their own opinions as to how to collect, but that's a good thing. That's why so many collections are so very different. One mm-hmm. of the uh, coolest things, I've seen some of the pictures of your collection. Obviously, we've talked forever, but um, the the coolest thing is that, that the way you do the, the wall that looks like <laughs> like it's all filled peg holes and it's more carded than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what made you go? I mean, it's awesome. And that's what I'm saying. That's how different people collect different ways. Cause I don't know anybody else that does that. Um, what, what made you go with the filled pegs? When I, that? well, when I, uh, moved into our first house, uh, when we moved to this state in Louisiana, uh, it was a room that the, uh, the original owners had turned into a, they turned the garage into a half garage in the room that they uh insulated and you know made as part of the interior of the house uh was a laundry room and then of course what we did later on was just swap uh the uh laundry room on the other side of that wall and then of course that little room then became whatever i wanted to turn into for a a man cave it Mm -hmm. then opened up this huge wall and um i said well how can i effectively display all these carded figures at that point it was probably about you know, 175 or 200 figures. I want to say men on card, and you know, at then I, I thought it was like top of the world. You yeah, know? that uh, is that's that's a lot already. I, I I think so. Even in that time period, so that's that's 2004 to about 2010, somewhere in between all that. It's when it happened, and um, I made that uh, transition uh, into that room and started making it my own, and so that was a much broader wall and uh, the most effective way to do it was you know obviously buy that pegboard buy those pegs uh from say home depot and it was an easy installment it wasn't anything crazy and it certainly didn't break the bank and i almost sometimes feel embarrassed about it because it's so shabby it's so (laughs) diy in that sense and uh so when we built our new home in 2014 I uh, talking with my wife and she was going to allow me to have this, you know, room and and I thought, well, you know, I have living with five kids, I, I can't uh, I can't have that much room on my own. Right. And but what was afforded to me was like a six by eleven type room, and it was stipulated that uh, two of the walls would have shelving, uh, deep shelving, uh, with adjustable levels, and then of course that one wall on the left would be nothing but the pegboard. Uh, and then, of course, I would I would go to about maybe 12 wide. I think I can go I think I can go 12 wide, 13 wide by about uh, 15 um, tall. 
So uh, it's, and then of course they're stacked about, you know, anywhere from as little as two uh, per peg or as many as five per peg. And it's just getting nuts now. I, I, I'm kind of, I can't wait, but yeah, I hate when the time comes when the kids do move out, but at least when they do move out, you know, it's like it'll, it'll open up <laughs> one room in the front of the house, <laughs> you know, for me to kind of you know, spread out. For the but, annex room for the, uh, for the museum, right? The annex. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know I mean? Cause I'm just, I, I know a na- when a neighbor came in and saw the room, they were like, Oh, it's a nice pantry. I'm like, Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, it's a very nice big pantry, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, it's, it's nothing like some of the really nice displays that many other, of uh, the other collectors have. And, uh, I just feel sometimes inadequate, but I'm, I'm happy with the content of it. And I, I'm not poo pooing that. It's just, uh, uh, I'm making do with what I have. And of course I can't impose upon my wife, you know, as far as like, uh, I, none of it, you know, goes beyond that room. We don't decorate star Wars. We don't do that. She, you know, she has, uh, endured for a very long time, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, as long as I'm, you know, uh, I guess rational about it you know, the collection will continue uh, or collecting will continue. And, uh, other than that, uh, that's, it, it came about because of the fact of how I kind of remembered some of the smaller stores, some of the mom and pops, especially, and it, uh, that pegboard feel, uh, uh, even down to, you know, Kmart, you know, obviously using that, even though it's not mom and pop, it's still effectively what they used mm-hmm. at the time. And with a little bit, you know, uh, more polish to it than what I've done. But uh, quite honestly, uh, it's how it's how I remembered it as a child, especially staring up at a huge wall of it uh, that even dwarfs my size as an adult now. And I, I think I kind of like that because yeah. of that perspective. Yeah, it is. Um, oh, I can't think of the word, but uh, I don't. I hate to say epic. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> it's it's impressive. Well, I mean, it, to say the least. And uh, it. it the way it's set up, man, it's very. I well, well, when we do the podcast, you'll send me some pictures. Maybe you send me a picture of that, and I'll put that up for uh, what people see. But uh, be, it's uh, yeah. it's something to see. <laughs> I will get updated pictures of, and uh, so I'll even don't beat yourself pictures. up too much, man. Whatever you're going for, whatever it is, whether it was cheap or not, it's impressive and it looks awesome. And the way it is displayed is so the way it should be. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it reminds you, it brings that in a, all right, here's an example today. Now I watched uh force awakens today again. Cause I like it. Uh, the wife <laughs> wanted to watch it, but uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm a star Wars movie guy that I watch them all the time, but I was watching right after that. She was uh, messing around with her collection room there. And uh, so I popped on the silver screen edition of star Wars. Do you remember that? You see yes. that one? All right. Yes. They did a great job. Definitely go check it out. Everybody. Uh, the silver screen edition. You could just Google it. it it's all over the place. Um, but anyway, it's that grainy old school way. It was, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. as much as the special editions are pretty, and as much as you can see every detail and cut on the Star Destroyer when it flies over, you know what I mean, at the beginning of New Hope? Yeah. It still doesn't change the fact that when I put that on that silver screen edition and I was watching it on the TV, it transports you right back. And it's yeah. not because it's better. It's not because it's cleaner. It's not because it costs $10 billion to redo it and they put in burping sarlaccs or whatever they <laughs> decided to do with that and british boba fett 
stealing the guy's voice so he was the bounty hunter guy from i don't even know Django fat doesn't exist that never happened anyway (laughs) (laughs) but what i'm saying man is it's that's that brings back that feeling and that's what your collection does when i see a picture of that it's it's amazing it's something that i only caught the very teal end of like you were saying with gi joe it was much longer so i've seen that with gi joe um but with star wars i've only seen it in those three pictures that are on Google that everybody posts every year when it's like Star Wars Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you focused on uh, only U.S. Kenner, and you have a massive collection, but you still have, like, a hunt list, right? Well, if the hunt list... I mean, yeah, to be honest, I would still try to get the, the 21 bag Boba Fett, and, and then I think any... any uh, empire version of him because i just i like an adult i basically gave up the uh option to pick one up for like a thousand dollars back in 2010 and the woman wouldn't come off by a hundred bucks and i was like you know oh "Oh, well whatever that's this is the ceiling it'll never go beyond that i'll I'll find it tomorrow yeah that's what i've been saying since i started buying boba fett's man and (laughs) for some reason i keep buying them and they keep getting more expensive Yes, yes, that's it. <laughs> so there, there are a couple of pieces like that. Like for example, I just wouldn't have a the card back example, you know, for Boba on an Empire or Star Wars at this point. And uh, of course, I'm in, I'm in no big hurry. I know they're out there. I know there's plenty of them. It's not a rare thing. It's just that the demand, you know, supersedes the the actual quantity. Right. And and of course, uh, uh, it's just it's not even probably cause a lot of the people that are really asking for it really indeed need it. It's not like I need it. It's just, I have this idea in the back of my head that like, well, I've got to be able to, you know, complete, you know, I've got, I've got a card back for every other figure. So I, I guess I need to get an empire and a star Wars card back for Boba Fett. And that's just, that's just the mentality. I don't honestly need it. It's just, Oh, that's, that's the way it is with anything, man. That's the, that's the completest thing. That's why we all do runs and you know, yes. Yeah. But uh, that's cool. That's what I'm saying. There's there's such, even with just U.S. Kenner, because you're very focused. I noticed that early on, man, that you don't mess around with the other countries and stuff like that. You're very, but you have like all of it almost. And that's the thing. Even with that, you can't get all of it because there's so much. It's a vast range of items. I, I would say that, you know, when I got John Kellerman's book uh, back in the day, mm-hmm. and, and if you turn to the matrices in the back, uh, you're going to be able to get an idea a, a probably a pretty good idea of what should all exist. And the last time I attempted to account all the, you know, confirmed squares or uh, possible squares of a carded example existing of a particular specimen, it like came out to be well over 900, you know. So I'm sure that number has even, you know, gone up to a thousand or more because of smaller, you know, examples. Like for, I don't know if, you follow with the Vintage Rebellion, but now the 48, what was simply the 48B and the 48C, mm-hmm. and I believe the A as well, can now go into the 48H category, well beyond what John Kellerman even really you know, thought of, because he, he included these particular variations on the back uh, when referring to the 48A uh, through C, as we originally knew them. He, he, he included them, but he decided not to go into the minutia of it, as in the, uh, if you read on the back at the top of the card, 
there's either two lines of dialogue or there's three lines of dialogue or one line will be longer on top and shorter on the bottom. And it's like, why they change that up for right. some reason, but it drives the completest mad so that in the vintage rebellion podcast, they uh, honestly, uh, they brought that up and uh, it was just, I think uh, CJ Fawcett was the one who, uh, you know, uh, you know, noticed that or accepted that onto his uh, list on his 12bag.com website. And it was uh, a situation where I said, gosh, I need to go back and look at my stuff. And lo and behold, I had it where I could count all the way up to 48H now, well before you get to the 48D designation on the Return of the Jedi. So, again, you know, John was aware of it when he was making the book. He just chose not to split hairs like that. And that's where, you know, I'm not going to kill myself trying to find everything. It's just, yeah. honestly, the way, I, the way I buy things now, if I just happen to see something I don't have, say, at a show or something like that, that's when I'll strike. Otherwise, it's not worth, you know, losing sleep over a day of that. Right. So. It's not Highlander. There is another. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, you just touched on it a little bit, but my next question, man, I wanted a basic crash course for the members. Uh, just what's, what do people mean by card back variations? Like the A's, the B's, the C's, you were just talking about the, uh, 48s. Um, but all throughout the cards, there's different variations and those are linked to letters. What does that mean? Can you just run through something easy for us just to give people an idea of what we're talking about? Yeah. Again, the origin of this came from Mr. John Kellerman. And when his book came out, the best way that he could categorize the uh, card fronts and the card backs, and that's where the lettering comes in, was, is, is specifically from the card back. So um, so there are obviously different card fronts that we know of. You know, like for a 12 back, you're going to have that little price box. On a 20... Um, a 20 bag, generally the price box is gone, but there are some 20 bags that still have the price box. And then they get rid of that little white square at the top, you know, eventually when 20 and 21s come into their, into their own. And then, of course, uh, you know, you could then have stickers applied with offers and then printed offers, obviously. Mm -hmm. Now, when it, it gets even more muddled, when you turn the card over and you want to see, well, how many figures are being offered at that time? Therefore, that's why we call it a 12-back or a 20-back or a 21-back. Um, the, the A, B, C, whatever designation comes about as the first offerings of a particular card back in its evolutionary stage uh, or a chronological stage, I think is probably maybe a better term for it. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so for example, if I take the 48-back, that's going to that's gonna be, that tells me that's an Empire Strikes Back card. That tells me that that is going to be a 48A. Tells me it's an offerless front. Mm -hmm. The back of it is going to offer 48 figures on the back at that time, and then it's going to show some general vehicles at the on the bottom portion of it. When you go into a 48B, that designation comes about because well, the next step from there is they slapped a sticker with Admiral Agbar's image that said "Revenge of the Jedi." They slapped a little round circular uh, sticker on the front. And then they slapped a like a, a third, uh, let's say about the, a sticker the size of the third of the back of the card uh, to go over the vehicles and further tout how you can pick up this Admiral Ackbar and who he is in the upcoming movie, Revenge of the Jedi. So what they did basically they just took overstock 48 A's and slapped stickers on them. Mm -hmm. 
Then by 48C, they made it more permanent and obviously printed, uh, made that advertisement a permanent part of the card front and card back. So no more stickers, but now it's absolutely uh, a part of the imagery itself, part of the printing process. And so that can kind of be applied to uh, every other, you know, the, the, the 31 backs, 32 backs, uh, which that has a very weird 31C, 32C example, a very hard to find example. But the 40, uh, the 45 and, uh, it has a A and B, uh, nomenclature as well. And then of course, when it's just a 47 back, it's just a 47A, but they still include the A. So, uh, and this again carries over into the 65s and the 77s and the 79s. And, uh, that's just a way that, uh, John was able to make, you know, sense of all of this madness when as a collector. And I think he did a pretty good job and it really stuck. And since, uh, that time, uh, everybody has, uh, was it 2003 or 2004 when the book came out? Uh, everyone has stuck with that. And I think mm-hmm. he, was, he was brilliant for it, quite honestly. Yeah. Even, even now, I mean, we use it all the time. It's even used on all the grading company labels. It's used on eBay auctions. It's used yes. on every web page. It's not exactly Uber, but it, <laughs> <laughs> it sure did spread. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that was perfect, man. That was exactly what I was looking for. Cause, uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to always have on different guests that can really give good information. And I knew you'd knock it out of the park on that one. And that was perfect. I even understand what they are now. So that's great. I was actually down in my wife, uh, my wife's collection there. And, uh, I was looking at her Jawas cause she was picking out stuff. She has doubles and triples of cause mm-hmm. it's kind of, if she sees it, she grabs it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, what happened is uh, we found on one of the card backs, it was just 65 back Jawas, and uh, one of them was green, one was blue, the uh, pop, the proof of purchase. Yes. One yes. was green, one was blue, and then another was blue. The thing is, I was like, oh, well, they're all 65 backs, get rid of one, you know, and she's like, well, wait. <laughs> she's like, this one's green, this one's blue, and this one's blue. And what ended up happening is one of the blue ones was Taiwan, uh, or Taiwan and Hong Kong. One yes, of the uh, other yeah. blue ones was Hong Kong, and mm-hmm. one of the other, and the green one was China. So oh, those yes. are technically three different cards. Yes. Yeah. So she kept them all. <laughs> and that really brings up a good point because uh, the COO really can throw a curveball, you know, and, and obviously it it not only makes it a unique card back, but also the figure attached to that uh, particular card back is now into its own you know, something more special. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and especially when we get into the, you know, made in Mexico or even made in China, a lot of the ones uh, that are uh, Jedi are made in China. And, uh, you know, that's all Boba Fett was, was made in Taiwan during the Jedi run. So in that sense, that's, um, that's another thing. It's not necessarily just the advertisements and the number of figures on the back. It goes even further. And uh, I, it, I found at celebration this past year at the uh, intergalactic trading company booth, which is always the worst. I mean, it feels like that lady, she's run Sue, Sue Cornwall has run that booth forever. And they, they even ran the shop even longer before then. But I figure like, why am I, she's never going to come down on her prices. Why am I going <laughs> to dig on, dig in here? And lo and behold, I found a, a 65 B I want to say Lando Calrissian. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I've already got that. Ooh, wait a minute. That's a made in China. And it's like, that's, that's the reason why you look. That's why you take a second glance, you know, just to be sure. Just when you think you've got everything, there's going to be a nice little surprise 
that you just got to pay attention to. And, uh, you know, you know, $60, $55. That's, I wasn't going to kind of, I wasn't going to turn my nose up at that. I, I was happy to find that and, uh, it was in decent shape. So, uh, that, that would be a nice, you know, lesson for anyone out there. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and again, it, it's weird because some people, you know, look down at that, like, oh gosh, why do you have to, you know, go that route? But, uh, you know, I, I, for me, a focus is boring quite, quite honestly. I mean, <laughs> and that's not, that's not wrong. I'm not saying that that's, you know, I've had this conversation with Sky Payne and, you know, I'm the, I'm the unfocused, focused, uh, collector, mm-hmm. quite honestly. I just, I, I am casting a wide net when the way I collect and, uh, it all brings happiness, quite honestly. Well, see, I'm well, a little see, bit backwards from that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have a tight, tight view. Um, well, I try to. The problem is, man, what I was doing is uh, once I did the uh, Power of the Force set, which, to tell you the truth, I'm probably going to end up selling to get a rocket firing Boba Fett here. Yeah. But, um, when I was doing that, I was just doing it because I got the droids and Ewoks and I didn't really like them. And then mm-hmm. it was like, all right, well, I got those. What's the next thing? Mm-hmm. And so then I did that, and that was my next thing, and it was really long time and hard work and blah, 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 blah. And then I started getting into foreign cards, variants, stuff like that, bootlegs, and all this different stuff. And then I started getting – and I still have that all, you know, and I still like it. Um, mm-hmm. But then I started getting to boxed and boxed items, and I'd have like – a sand crawler and this and this and you know b-wings and i was getting boxes after boxes you know because i wanted all the sealed boxes mm-hmm. and i had no more no more room yeah. so then you start just piling stuff in star cases in the corner and then it's like well what am i doing here you know mm-hmm. so that's why i started trying to pull back a little and get more focused on boba because just boba in my house man it it leeches everywhere do you know what I mean? It just it like gets into the clothing and it's there. You know, Andrea pulls them. Those things. Hey, I know I I treat my Star Wars figures great, but the thing is, I'll tell you something. I have a Boba Fett that I carry in my pocket wherever I go. I'm sure you've seen it. Yes. But um, I carry it in my pocket just because you know you never know when you might need a bounty hunter. And uh, she's washed it maybe ten times. And it's fine. It still looks good. Paint's perfect. Well, not really perfect. It's, you know, it's a rough beater boba, but it's still as good as it ever was. So I don't really know how you get the paint off them, but it sure seemed to happen often back in the day. But my yeah. guess staying strong and that, that, that wash gets hot, man, because, you know, <laughs> yes, yeah. but uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but it was a good story. We talked about pocket boba, so that worked out. <laughs> How'd you like celebration, brother? I did. Uh, I enjoyed it uh, once again. I thought it was. I didn't get to go to the Anaheim previous to that, but uh, I've only been to number five and number six uh, in 2010, 2012, and uh, so it was nice to kind of get back into it because I felt like I I'd missed out so much by not going out to Anaheim, and I had to live vicariously, you know, through the internet uh, and everybody else's postings, and it was like, oh, you know, oh well, maybe maybe next year. And, and Thomas Quinn was good about bringing me back a big bag of swag. Nice. Uh, fellow collector up in New York. He's just the, the sweetest guy in the world and a good friend. And uh, he just um, really surprised me with that. So made me feel uh, like I was a part. Brian Stillman, you know, uh, handed over some of his uh, neat swag uh, and uh, the Plastic Galaxy uh, director. 
And so, you know, it's just, um, it's nice, you know, because I think that's, that's what the community obviously is filled with is friends and potential friends and, you know, uh, the nerdy wells and eventually those people get kind of weeded out. And, you know, it is a community in the sense that like, like a city has, is full of good people and bad people, you know, and you just have to kind of pick who you want to run with and, uh, do you want to scam or do you want to just live like a good citizen in this community? And um, I think that's uh, what I really draw from because it is a microcosm of what, uh, from a civic standpoint, you know, I mean, it is a, it is a true community. Uh, and we all, I've seen the good things, you know, and I've seen like what you, you've been done, uh, doing uh, uh, and in your endeavors and the, the meetups and looking forward to the one in Cincinnati and so you know, it's, I'm psyched. Uh, yeah, Cincinnati. I'm psyched yeah. for it. Well, you were down at the one in or- Orlando. There, you liked that? I did. I liked it a lot. That was my first one to be uh, there with you, uh, and because I, I hadn't been to the previous Cincinnati one, uh, nor the other meetup. I think you guys had, and um, so you, you run it really well. And I just uh, I look forward you know, to doing that in you know, that environment of Cincinnati, that's just, where else should you, you know, hold a toy, you know, epic party and central USA, brother. (laughs) Absolutely. It's very apropos, but, um, you know, uh, that's again, uh, it's a, it's a lot of years of doing it. And, uh, I've, I've, I've made several mistakes and I, I can see where, you know, where, where I shouldn't have done, what I should not do the next time I go to buy a, a Carter figure or a boxed item or, mm-hmm. you know, how to best uh, spend my money, quite honestly. And uh, I, I, again, I'm in no big hurry uh, to, there is no finish line, quite honestly. I think as we talked about, like, you know, a little bit earlier in the sense, like, sure, there's always other things I can pick up uh, here and there, but there's no in, <laughs> in sight. So, no, but uh, that's what makes it great. Yeah. So, uh, what's your? Uh, do you even know what's your min on card count right now? Uh, Four hundred and nine vintage Star Wars. Then there's there's the the, the indie line from Kenner. That's uh, not too much more. There are only nine figures, but there's also a couple of different card backs. There's a four back and there's a nine back. So I'm probably about uh, about twelve or thirteen uh, uh, of the indies, and then of course, then there's GI Joe. So G.I. Joe, I know this is not a G.I. Joe podcast, but... No, that's it, right. I know your G.I. Joe <laughs> thing. Go for it. <laughs> Good, thank you. Uh, it's uh, right now, I mean, it's pretty meek because uh, I I technically didn't start collecting G.I. Joe until 2013, and that was due to the fact that the Star Wars prices were starting to go nuts. So I decided, well, let me just turn this way and look at what Joe is selling for. And I was kind of happy because really that was my main staple as a child was G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just the ultimate '80s toy, you know, for anybody, no matter what side of the, you know, political fence, you know, you're, you're from. You had to enjoy that toy to some degree. And uh, I just, I said, well, let me go back and collect that, really, that first love, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's a long, hard road. I mean, it's so much. I mean, from think about it, 1982 to 1994. It's well, 12 solid years. I was looking at a thing about Joe's, and there's how many figures in the vintage set? Like a billion? Uh, well, well no. <laughs> it, it, it may seem like it, but it's, it's technically, it's a little over 500. 
And the thing is, yeah, you know, they, a lot of them are using same body molds and different paint schemes and different uh, weapons they put in with that. And of course the nineties are a very embarrassing time point, you know, when it comes to neon colors and it's just, you know, they just turned me off. But the thing is that, uh, you know, as a completist for Joe, of course I want to kind of get them all, but that's, that's my cross to bear in that sense. And, um, and I'm only doing it to myself, quite honestly. But, uh, you know, the, so there's that many more, 70 or so carded figures there. So, I mean, that's, gosh, it's well over. And it's almost like 600 men on card of you know, three different toy lines. And it's just, it's nuts. And, you know, I, at least if anything is when the kids come in and they, they visit and take a look and sit down on daddy's floor and, you know, play with the Creo uh, Joe Creo, uh, Lego knockoffs, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, my, my oldest son is asking me questions and we're learning together. And we just watched plastic galaxy last night to, That's you know, one, yeah. Oh yeah. Just to show him, look, this is a history here. This is not just a toy box. This is, this is, you know, real history behind that. And these are grown men that are in the, in, being interviewed and this was their job. And now we, we see them as superheroes of, you know, yep. an industry. And, you know, that, that's, that room is just chock full of, you know, three great toy lines. And, and then, of course, the accompanying boxed vehicles and play sets that, uh, that follow it. I think there's only two boxed items from the Star Wars line that I'm missing. And it's a, I'm sorry to say, it's a sand crawler and it's the Sears Cantina Adventure play set. So, uh, those two just, again, it's one of those kind of like, oh, well, there's, there's plenty of them. I'll, I'll get around we'll to get it. One eventually. Yeah, well, hey, man, you got to keep hunting because there's some guy that popped one up on the IC that he found at some flea market for $130, and it was dead mint with inserts kidding? and everything. Oh, no. Yeah, man, <laughs> go Google on the IC, man, and just look Sandcrawler. He posted it up. I'm like, what? Like, oh, congratulations, okay. brother, but <laughs> where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good one. Um, Well, we're uh, – we're, we're running a little short on time, but it doesn't matter. I think people listen to podcasts no matter how long they are, so we'll keep going here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, what? Uh, all right, from the new movies, any prop, what would it be? Just from the new ones? Uh, any movie. Sorry, oh, from, from any... the movies. Oh, from the any prop. I'll, I'll I had new written above it. <laughs> oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Uh, I mean, I... Hmm. Good question. Any prop at all from any of the Star Wars movies, what would it be? Can, can you consider IG-88 to be a prop? Yeah. Even though he's, I mean, because he's technically, it's not he a person. He didn't have a human being in it. You know, and, and there's there's technicians that would have had to set that up and, and mm-hmm. move him left and right because he can't, it's not like it's an actor or anything. So if you can technically call IG-88 in his complete form a prop that's on set, then I will take that. Because that I counts, that. man. And it's a very good one. It's <laughs> so everybody else has been like a blaster or a lightsaber. Or a... Yeah. But an IG-88, that would be awesome. You know what I mean? Because it just seems like that'd be a great centerpiece. It'd be something to, you know, if my wife would allow me to uh, put anything out around the house, that'd be the thing that would greet visitors through the door. Man, it would be the perfect centerpiece for you. You could put his arms out and his guns out and you could hook <laughs> pegs to them all. <laughs> and cover them with carded exactly <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> all right brother um what's your favorite part of collecting what do you like the most 
Well, I, it's it's like the, the stories. I think uh, I like I like this. this it's actually twofold to that. There's two different types of stories. There's going to be stories that are, uh, what did it take for you to get this particular item that you're now showing me or showing off or trying to sell? Or what about the stories of uh, those who've gone before and uh, the hobby and you know procured prototypes or talked to the employees? Uh, and that's where like with uh, Chris uh, Dragulius and uh, mm-hmm. with Ron Salvatore um, and uh, C.J. Fawcett, all those guys, Todd Chamberlain, you know, I mean, just amazing work, what they've done. I know I'm, I'm leaving several names behind, but uh, it's the endeavors of all those individuals, and it's because of what they were, they went out and, and discovered and brought back and uh, have, have shared with us, and that's what it's all about. It's about sharing in that sense. So uh, that that is you know, what I would say is the, are, are the stories involved. Well, brother, before I let you go, uh, we need the very last thing, the IC Star Wars Pearl of Wisdom. Uh, mm-hmm. Since IC Star Wars is focused on vintage Star Wars items, and our guests are going to be some of the most knowledgeable people around uh, when it comes to Star Wars items, like you just showed us with the uh, card back variations there, uh, I've asked every single guest to give one collecting tip. It could be anything at all, from what to look for in the wild to these are all the known counter card back variations. <laughs> Something <laughs> I have uh, learned from personal experience in this hobby is that every collector knows very solid info about something, but no collector knows everything. So mm-hmm. I think if we keep learning from each other, as you were saying, and keep learning from the stories of others and the ones that have come before, we can learn lots of great stuff. So what is your one pearl of wisdom? In an age now where... We have a, a lot more disposable income, and uh, everybody's. We started off like with the McDonaldization of society back in the '90s, where we wanted everything mm-hmm. quick, and you know, right now, um, I would say that patience is still the key to uh, finding what you want. And uh, I have several times been looking for a particular, say, GI Joe item, and did not pull the trigger because. It just wasn't didn't look like the right price. Uh, it didn't feel like it, and I just knew that there was something out there. And when I finally did pull the trigger the last couple of weeks ago, it was a great price. It was an unbelievable specimen, which really surprised me. And it just goes to show me that look, you know, would I've been happy three or four years when I had spent maybe twice the amount of money? Probably sure, because I wouldn't have known about this event. But once I came across this great deal It made obviously the hindsight that much more clear. And I could think back like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of happy. I, I did wait and didn't have to, you know, be uh, so hasty in my decision. So I think that can apply to anything you do in life, but especially with this community or with this hobby, I should say, uh, it actually is, you know, tantamount to uh, healthy collecting mm-hmm. patience and, is key you don't want to look at that stuff and then uh regret buying it no correct you know because you know, obviously as you know the minute we're starting to neglect mortgage or neglect um anything else uh especially you know the precious things in life like family mm-hmm. then that's when it it becomes an obsession and it's not fun anymore right so that i think patience is key and it's only as we can see, the prices are only getting crazier. They're not—they're not, they're not going to come down drastically. They may plateau, 
but they're not gonna just come, you know, diving, you know, to the ground. So yeah, I don't see them crashing it. Yeah. So, but that, maybe they'll have a Gilbert Godfrey movie, and I could have an army of rocket firing Fets. Yes, <laughs> Gilbert Matthew... Godfrey is Boba Fett. That's my vote. <laughs> I just won't go see it, man, and I'll just stay home and buy Boba Fets <laughs> as they crash into the pavement. It would be so wonderful. <laughs> I'd have so many twenty-one backs. I'd send you some. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Ah, <laughs> uh, cool, brother. Well, hey, um. I, anything you want to plug anything what do you do what do you you got anything you want to plug people plug stuff at the end anything if, they're working on yeah if you don't mind i do uh I love for some you of too. the other i actually i didn't want to blow up your spot man but i saw something he showed me and it's yeah go ahead well i didn't um, know if yeah. it was out there yet i got a password yes <laughs> that's true um only uh, friends get this but uh i have since 2010 i've been working on a documentary as a lot of the other uh, Star Wars collectors know, uh, that I came out with it uh, about a year or so ago, and it's a documentary that is, takes a look at the making of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The unique thing about this is that it it looks at those locals that were living in Mobile, Alabama at the time where the movie was shot in 1976, and the way that the studio utilized local talent and technicians and people like that to get this, you know, blockbuster of a movie completed. And, uh, it's a very, um, human interest type of story, uh, that does not utilize the normal, uh, flare and glitz as any other kind of behind the scenes featurette would, you know, use when you're talking to big stars or a big time director or any of the the real Hollywood technicians. This is just talking to, you know, John and Jane Q. Public, and what it meant to be part of this amazing uh, encounter. Quite honestly, and uh, it stuck with these people for over. Uh, well, at the time, it was like 34, 35 years when I started off and uh, asking them questions, and now we're at the 40th anniversary of it. So. Uh, I have, uh, I'm going to be, uh, it, it's available now for digital download. It, uh, we're thinking of trying to get it in DVD form. Uh, and this is all, you know, I, I did it all out of pocket and just cause it started off with a, a selfish idea of like, Hmm, where did they shoot these scenes in the town that I grew up in? Where did they shoot, you know, uh, some of the deleted scenes, even I want to go even as far as that. But as I dug and dug and dug, I came across more and more people who this really meant so much to the city at the time and meant obviously so much to them. It left a, an indelible mark on them and their, um, memory banks. And, uh, that it, I had to take a step back and think, wow, this is, this goes beyond just my, uh, interest alone. And so, uh, and it's more than just a simple how Close Encounters was made. Um, and it's, fill up, it's filled with uh, m- material that none of the clips are from the movie. There's nothing like that. I can't utilize that. It's not my right to do so. But it is full of personal images, never before seen documentation, as well as clandestine photographs that were taken from the hangar when they weren't supposed to do it in the first place. <laughs> 
Well, so, actually, those are some of the stories I enjoyed the most from your uh, your interviews on that. It's so professional. It was like I was watching the History Channel. Um, you can't tell. <laughs> You can't tell the difference between this and a high budget whatever. If it wasn't a high budget whatever, I'm surprised. If you don't do this for a living, you should probably think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the one in one interviews, man. I don't. I won't. No spoilers or anything. But there was a. Uh, there was one there where uh, there was a guy and uh, he was getting unemployment. And that's the thing. I mean, even today, that movie going to Mobile, Alabama, impacted it so much that it allowed that city not to die. I mean, yeah. many cities have died without getting an influx like that you know and uh but there was the one guy and uh, i can't remember recall his name right now but uh he was getting unemployment and they're like hey listen you got to go do this job or else you're not getting unemployment <laughs> and they dressed him up in an army uniform but he just got out of the army and he didn't want to be in an army uniform and they put him on this bus and the whole way there he's like oh what are they doing they must be using us as like fake crowd control or something like exactly. that <laughs> and they end up dumping him off and it's a movie set and it ends up being but it's stuff like that and you never think about it but man i sure hope they come to nashville one day because yeah. i'll be whatever you could squeeze well, me into a stormtrooper outfit i'll stand sideways well, you know, i mean that's and that's location shooting is you know the studios branched out and during that time period they were really stretching their wings and uh that's why well that's one reason why i mean the fact that there was the hangar in there in mobile that they needed to use for that set that exterior uh landing strip uh night sequence and uh when it's all shot indoors in a hangar and there was nowhere else in the united states that could do that so you know i mean uh it's we we're, we're pretty busy down here in new orleans i, I work in the film industry uh, i'm a second assistant cameraman i've been doing oh, that so you do do it for your job Good. <laughs> I, well, I, I do, you know, but that—that's a technician, you know. That's just uh, just a simple, you know, guy who hits the slate and changes the lenses and, you know, sets up the camera over in a new position. You know, come off the dolly, go handheld. Now go back to the dolly, or you know, go to Steadicam. It's it's that's what I do in a you know twelve to fourteen hour period each day. But uh, it's been very lucrative since moving here. And uh, again, uh, I know there's been there has been some uh, shooting taking place up in Nashville. Uh, as a couple of my friends from this area had to go and uh, and, and do things up there in the last couple of years. So it seems like if, if you know, the bureaucracy of the state, you know, legislation of the state is so inclined to create an incentive program, Hollywood will come knocking. And that's generally speaking what, you know, the state kind of did back in 1976, Alabama. They've been over backwards for this, you know, studio to come in and do whatever they need to do. Yeah, when you're going to dump, you know, you know, six to twelve million dollars in that time frame, you'll do anything. You know, so. Um, but yeah, if uh, if anybody is so inclined uh, to be interested in that, uh, I do have a group page that's Cl Close Encounters Documentary. Who are you people? Who are you people is the title of the documentary. And uh, if, not, if worse comes to worse. Uh, you could contact me directly, Jonathan Robinson, PM me, um, all in one IC all the time. And, um, but that, that's all I really have to, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Let me just say that I'm not to the point where I'm just, I'm, you know, brash about it. I, I, but I am proud of the people that put forth their time. I'm proud of them for giving a stranger 
airtime, basically, is what it was. It was it was allowing me to talk to them and allowing me to come to their home and videotape them, and um, when they didn't have to do that at all, and to collectively, they'd make this story, and that that's I think what I'm most proud of is the, you know, now I can. I can retain their story and, and repeat their story even after long after they're dead. Right. And that's what, that's what makes, you know, now I, I told somebody this the other day, now I see why, you know, Spielberg was so adamant about the Shoah foundation, you know, it's because when you have to preserve those stories and I'm not trying to liken the experience of the Holocaust to this movie, I'm not saying that what I am saying is that, um, these stories most of the time die with the people unless someone writes them down or continues to repeat them uh, in oral tradition. And in this sense, this is kind of like how it is. This is a, you know, an archive of, of people's memories. And uh, that's what I'm most proud of. Well, that's a necessity too, man, because these kind of things, they, they have a history to them. And uh, people do it with Star Wars as well. People do it with everything. Um, but yeah. it's, it's great that somebody picks up that baton and carries on. Because it would get lost, and that would be unfortunate. Because history is important, you know what I mean. If, if you don't remember what happened, you're doomed to repeat it. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Well, perfect, brother. That was a beautiful interview, and I really appreciate you coming on this. Uh, which is it? Fifth episode of uh, They haven't thrown us off the air yet of IC <laughs> Star Wars. Uh, thanks a lot, Jonathan Robinson, for coming on. Thanks for being a member of the IC, and I will see you in Cincinnati. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. All right, brother. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a great interview. If you have anybody that you would like to suggest for a future interview, or if you yourself would like to come on for an interview, let me know. Let me know what your focus is. Let me know what, uh, what information you can share with the hobby, and I'd love to have you on. If you're looking into the Imperial Commissary, please check out www.imperialcommissary.com. That's I-M-P-E-R-I-A-L-C-O-M-M-I-S-S-A-R-Y.com. On Instagram, I am The Imperial Commissary. On Twitter, I am Commissary underscore I-C. Also, don't forget to come to the IC Meetup on September 30th up in Sharonville, Ohio, just outside Cincinnati, North Cincinnati. Um, can't wait to see you there. Also, you can always email me at icswpodcast at gmail.com, or you can shoot me a PM on the Imperial Commissary. Thank you very much for listening. Please give it a rate, give it a review, give it five stars on Facebook. Um, let me know anything I'm doing wrong, anything I'm doing right, and keep telling your friends that the IC is the place to be. And I will see you next time on IC Star Wars, a podcast by collectors for collectors.